podcast listeners. Welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today is Friday, February 4th, 2021. Joining me via Zoom are three members of the NK News reporting team to discuss some of the latest developments in and around North Korea. But first, I'd like all our listeners to please do me a favor. Wherever you listen to this podcast, please leave a review, whether that's on iTunes or whatever platform you use. I looked at our reviews the other day and I realized that we have some positive feedback there, but it was looking pretty old. And that's mostly my fault because I haven't been encouraging you enough to leave reviews lately. So, ladies and gentlemen, please leave us reviews and share the podcast with your colleagues and friends and even enemies. Uh, We don't mind. Uh, Secondly, check out NK News, your specialist source for trusted information on North Korea. Get behind the headlines at nknews.org. Consider buying a subscription for a year. It's more affordable than you think, and it helps to fund the excellent journalism that my colleagues that I'm talking to put out every day. If you're already a subscriber, consider upgrading to NK Pro. Now, to introduce our guests today, we have two familiar names and voices and one new one. Joining me are Jongmin Kim and Collins Wurko. And for his NK News podcast debut, we have Wong Gi-jong, who is the newest member of the NK News reporting team based in Seoul. He previously worked for the CSIS Career Chair and East Asia Institute. I guess let's start with the, uh, the big news at the top. I understand that President Moon finally had his phone call with new U.S. President Biden. How did that go? Who wants to kick us off? So we were waiting for it for a while because, as always, it's sort of a nunchi game, as we call it in South Korea, who Biden calls first. He had already called Japan, Russia, Germany, France, and the United Kingdom. But yesterday was the first phone call between Biden and Moon. It was pretty generic. There was nothing immensely new or groundbreaking, but the uh, focus was definitely on the alliance because Biden is... Uh, we can imagine that because Biden is a, more of a traditional U.S. leader. Um, and also they did mention North Korea, but I could sense that there was a little bit of a difference in tone or emphasis when they were talking about the North Korea issue. In November, when mm-hmm. Moon congratulated Biden, he uh, in the congrat- congratulatory message, he said, he said that the South and North, he hopes that it will be able to play a more important role as a stakeholder in yeah. resolving the Peninsula issue. And, and um, according to Blue House readout, Biden acknowledged that and assessed its importance. But according to the White House readout, there was no such thing. Hmm. Uh, they only briefly mentioned that the two years agreed to closely coordinate on the North Korea issue. What about North Korean denuclearization? Did that get a special mention? From the White House part, the only sentence that mentioned North Korea was the one that they agreed to closely coordinate on DPRK issue in general. Mm. So it seems that right now, um, it's not that the call was more of a traditional congratulatory phone call rather than an actual um, policy level discussion. Um, right. They did mention, Blue House did mention that they are, they want to talk about North Korea policy with the White House as soon as possible, but the White House one did not uh, mention anything more, more in detail about that. Would I be right in, in not expecting any specific actions to come out of this? We initially did imagine that they will mention North Korea, um, but I don't think that there would be like a follow-up follow-up meeting or follow-up uh, policy follow-up about this. But I think because Biden is more of a person who delegates important um, working level work to the people who has the expertise, I can 
I can imagine that these um, North Korea policy or any other Asia policy in general as well, it will be um, mostly handled by the people, um, his top picks recently. Blinken did mention North Korea issue a couple of times. Um, and most recently, Blinken mentioned, quote unquote, additional sanctions. People were keeping an eye on Blinken. Of course, sanctions, it's always a, a buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> and people always um, want to know whether or not the United States will be um, stifling North Korea more or less uh, when it comes to its economy. And it seems that um, with Blinken, he is definitely considering more sanctions and a sanctions-led pressure that will bring North Korea to the negotiation table. But he was being very, very careful whenever he talked about North Korea because he mentioned, he always mentioned there are diplomatic options mm -hmm. as well. Uh, now, Wangi, welcome uh, on the NK News podcast for the first time. What are your areas of focus and special interests when writing about uh, North Korea? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a pleasure to join uh, the podcast here. I am mostly writing about um, nuclear proliferation, military uh, recently, but also I have been um, reporting on uh, defector issues in South Korea. So I would say my interest is pretty broad. Right. Uh, a Renaissance man like myself. Uh, do you have any news to share with us about whether and when North Korea will get vaccines from COVAX or any other supplier or program? I think it was on Wednesday, the COVAX, um, this is a vaccine uh, initiative that's been co-led by WHO and Gavi, that's also the Global Health Partnership. Basically, the COVAX announced that, um, and it, this is an interim report, meaning that it is a non-binding and the situation can change all the time, uh, depending on the conditions, but it announced that the COVAX will begin supplying vaccine doses to North Korea and to many other countries starting from late February. And the 35 to 40% of the vaccine doses will be ready by uh, quarter, the first quarter. So that's by March and the rest of the vaccine will be ready by uh, June. So that's the basic timeline that they have suggested there. Okay, so we've got some movement there. I, I suppose that could be an encouraging sign, whether that will mean uh, an early reopening of North Korea uh allowing movement in and out that's another question isn't it yeah that's definitely another question so it basically depends on how north korea uh thinks um when north korea thinks it's uh prepared to open the border but when you look at the doses of the vaccines it's just up two million doses and because this is an astrogenica vaccine and uh, usually the standard dose is two doses for a person uh to get fully vaccinated that means that uh, the amount of doses will be only enough to vaccinate 1 million people. That's about 4% of its population. Wow. So would North Korea be comfortable with reopening the border with only 4% of its population vaccinated? That's a big question mark. And yeah. a lot of experts that I attribute said it, it is unlikely, um, given this paranoid um, quarantine measures introduced by North Korean government so far. Okay, um, I'm going to skip to uh, Colin now, because uh, I don't want you to be sitting there thinking, when am I going to get my question? Colin, last week on CNN, there was an interview with a former North Korean diplomat, the uh, acting ambassador to Kuwait, who is now believed to be in South Korea. Tell us about his story. Um, when did he come? Yeah, thanks, Jekko. Uh So the story is about a, a man who goes by the name uh, Ryu Hyunwoo now. Uh, and the story is he's he was a diplomat at the DPRK embassy in Kuwait, 
He told CNN that he worked at the uh, Syria at the DPRK embassy in Syria from 2010 to 2013. Mm. Um, I'm not sure about the interim period, but it looks to me like he came to the embassy in Kuwait, uh, perhaps sometime in 2018 uh, or, or, or before that, maybe in 2017. So, yeah, he's in South Korea now. Uh, he chose CNN to do his first interview in on camera. He had interviewed previously with the Mayor Kyungjae, which is a South Korean outlet, mm. uh, who broke the story and talked to him on the phone. But, but yeah, he came out and showed his face uh, on CNN. Uh, so it appears that he's trying ask, to get the word out. Are you saying that he has a new name? Because you, you said he's known by Ryu Hyunwoo now. Uh, did, did he choose a different name coming to South Korea? So it's, it's a bit unclear to me, but uh, CNN reported that he uh, adopted the name Ryu when he came to uh, South Korea. So that's the extent of what I know. Mm -hmm. And I've that, been that's trying not to uncommon, some... right? The defectors often pick a, a different name when they come to South Korea, maybe for reasons of protecting their families back in the north or, or other reasons. I'm not sure because, you know, he's coming out uh, quite openly. And yeah. it, well, he, okay, so he t he says that he defected with his wife and his mm -hmm. teenage daughter. Mm -hmm. So they are with him in South Korea. But he has three siblings and an elderly mother that are still in North Korea, and uh, mo uh, a big part of what was revealed in his CNN doc in his CNN interview was that he fears for their safety and he mm. fears for reprisals from the North Korean government because of uh, what he refers to as the 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 understanding that the North Korean government will punish family members for the crimes of other family members, mm. uh, something that's been understood to have been going on for decades, but which is uh, become a little bit less clear in the last few years about whether or not it's as severe now. You know, uh, there was a, an assumption that maybe their family members would be executed immediately. Um, I think the understanding now is that that's not the case, but they might be punished in some other way. I, I don't know why he would change his name because the North Korean government will watch that video from CNN and they will be keeping tabs on his family members in North Korea. Mm. Um, so he's just trying to, 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 to put a spotlight on it and say, you know, if anyone's watching this, you know, make sure that they're not harmed, which I don't know how that would work yeah. exactly. But Do we know when he arrived in South Korea? Right. So uh, he claims to have uh, left in September 2019. Yeah. And we have a lot of evidence for that. Um, it was I around found a, the time almost that there was a, uh, a senior diplomat left uh, from Italy too, wasn't there? Yeah, so uh, it, it comes in a string of uh, three diplomats that are most often mentioned. There was, uh, yeah, Josanke, uh, he was a diplomat at the embassy in Italy, and uh, he defected, I believe, sometime in the middle of 2019. And then there was, uh, of course, Taeyong Ho, which, mm. who was a diplomat at the DPRK embassy in the UK, and uh, he defected a few years before that, uh, but now he is a very, he's probably the most well-known outspoken defector. He's a lawmaker in South Korea now, uh, elected, I think, last year. So, so yeah, he can't, this guy, uh, Ryu, he came over to uh, South Korea. His story, the story is that he uh, went with his wife and daughter. He surprised his daughter in the car and said, we're going to the South Korean embassy in Kuwait. And then they were wow. able to fly to South Korea just a few days later, uh, he says. So do you know why we're only hearing about him now? Well, uh, there were whispers back even in October 2019 that NK News heard about, but we just couldn't confirm the story at right. the time. Um, it seems like he came over and he went through the process, uh, the debriefing with the South Korean government, um, everything that's required of, of a person of such a position. It was just kept, people kept it secret. Uh, right. And I don't, rem I don't know exactly 
um, if he reached out or if someone found out about it, but he was happy to talk to uh, the the outlet that broke the story when mm. the story broke. Uh, Wangi or Jongmin, do either of you have any uh, input on uh, name changes by defectors? How common that is and possible reasons for that? Uh, it's pretty common because like Colin said, they, they sometimes want to, especially when they want to go on record and become a public uh, figure, like going on Imangab or any um, TV shows or whatever, they usually do change their name. Um, but in this case, like Colin said, I'm not sure why or how that is going to work. Um, he is already seems to have been a high profile figure in North Korea. Yeah, so the the story that he's telling, which is unconfirmed, in which we haven't independently confirmed, is that his father-in-law ran something called Office Thirty Nine, which mm. is uh, in charge of um, you know acquiring foreign currency abroad in projects, DPRK government-sponsored projects abroad. You know, some of it illicit. Uh, right. So that's his story, but I'm not sure about that. But yeah, he one thing just to note is uh, CNN called him the former acting ambassador in Kuwait. Uh, it's hard to to know, and and also I wasn't able to find like anything printed with his name on it. But there are a lot of pictures of him on Facebook at the Kuwait embassy mm -hmm. uh, with Kuwaitis uh, or people living in Kuwait, and uh, he appears to possibly have been acting ambassador after the uh, after Kuwait kicked out the. The previous ambassador in 2017 when uh you know us was pressuring countries all over the world uh to act after their nuclear test um, in 2016 and weapons development in 2017 but kuwait said they wouldn't allow another ambassador uh mm -hmm. so they had acting ambassadors um but uh someone uh named Chu myung Chol is now the acting ambassador and he was the acting ambassador all the way back since at least early 2019 so mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not sure if if this guy really was the acting ambassador. Maybe at some point in 2018, but definitely not whenever he uh, defected. Right, Jungwon, you wanted to add? Yeah. Uh, the fact that you asked about why this came out um, after a couple of years, it was more like an accidental reveal because um, there were rumors about how uh, Cho's wife um, tipped off reporters. Um, and they, the reporters were not supposed to tell the public about him because he was under protection. But in this case, it's different because mm. it seems um, Yu Hyunwoo himself talked to Mel Kyungjae on the phone, right. according to Mel Kyungjae. And the way um, he revealed himself and talked to the media, it's also um, very interesting because he actually praises South Korea a lot. And mm. it it's it's going to get a lot of spotlight like immediate spotlight from the south korean public for example the thing about how they are defecting to give their children a better future this is a pretty classic we hear this all the time right, right. but another thing um mary Kyungja came up with a follow-up exclusive article mm -hmm. where you told mary Kyungja that he has been reading south korean media uh, media reports very diligently mm -hmm. and quote unquote he said it was amazing how the country runs well even when it looks like people quarrel day in and day out mm -hmm. and it appears the conflict is, ex is extreme and he said that he was really impressed with the candlelight movement uh -huh. um yeah it's it's like a political buzzword here like right. if he mentions that um south koreans are going to give him an immediate attention yeah. so it was interesting how he um he knew how to do that it seems that certainly is, yeah. That is, it sounds like a bit of a player in uh, in a media sense. Um, we're going to have to move on to the next topic there. Uh, Wangi, were there secret plans to build a nuclear power station in North Korea? So, yes, there was uh, 
I would say it was just an internal evaluation uh, mm -hmm. by the Ministry of Energy uh, to just discuss the options to build uh, nuclear power plants in North Korea. So um, it's it was an internal discussion and it was just a process of evaluating um, different locations and whether it will be feasible given the, the talks between the U United States and North Korea uh, about the denuclearization. Do you know when these internal discussions took place? According to the name of the file, it says that, and I'm um, talking about the document that has been released by the ministry um, by itself, and the file name says the 2018 May 14th, if I remember correctly. So if we believe that file name, then yes, it would have been produced in on May 14th. But uh, I think it is more um, reasonable to say that the file name was produced after uh, the first summit, which was on April 27th in 2018. Right. Um, so that's, it's a, I think, a better estimate. Now, you said the ministry, are you talking about the Ministry of Trade, Investment and Energy? Yes. Okay. Now, why why have these plans or this internal discussion been in the news this week? What's the deal? Why? How do we know about this? Right. Um, so the prosecutors in South Korea were investigating this one energy ministry official mm -hmm. um, who was under investigation for his, uh, his involvement in a separate uh, nuclear power plant project in South Korea. And apparently these um, prosecutors recovered 530 files from his computer. Yep. And one, actually a few of the documents had uh, names that's uh, related to North Korean power plant projects. And this document apparently has been uh, given to the SBS, the local broadcaster in South Korea. And as SBS broke the story and uh, the other media outlets started to pick up the story and then uh, raised some uh, theories about how these nuclear power plant project has been carried out by the current Moon administration. Now, I mean, is there anything to it? Is there a there there or is this a big nothing burger? Yeah, so any government can prepare for any contingency situations and it can prepare different kind of scenarios given the development of the uh, issues between uh, different countries. And in this case, uh, the document that's been released by the ministry clearly says that uh, this whole discussion about nuclear power plant project is contingent on uh, the discussion between the United States and North Korea over mm. the denuclearization. And it lists three different options. One, building nuclear power plant project in Kumho, another building it in DMZ, and another building in a South Korean city, and then transfer the electricity from the South Korea to North Korea. So there are just different options. Of, they are brainstorming the ideas. Right. So I would say um, uh, if, as long as this plan has not been carried out in a policy level, um, it's really hard to make any uh, strong claims about the uh, the administration's intention or yeah. the uh, government's willingness to uh, build the nuclear power plants in North Korea. Now, some of us are old enough to remember uh, KEDO, uh, the, right. gosh, I've even forgotten what it stands for, Korean Energy Development Organization, something like that, which was a plan um, involving South Korea, the United States, Japan, Europe, and other stakeholders to uh, exactly. build light water reactors uh, in North Korea 
back in well, 1994, uh, starting from then, uh, to you know induce North Korea to give up its uh, its own nuclear plans. Um, how was this uh, brainstorming session by the Ministry of Energy uh, different from the Kyoto Plan? I mean, are they talking about building a whole new reactor from scratch, or are they going in and finishing the Kyoto uh, sort of half, well, not even half finished, but uh, slightly begun Kyoto Plan? Yeah, it's it's a great point that you brought up that um, this plan has is not a new idea, right? Um, right? When you look at the document, again, they're released by the ministry. Uh, the first option um, that they think is the most feasible is actually building the nuclear power plant in Kumho, which was the location where huh. the construction was carried out by uh, the Kido and other working groups um, to build the light water reactors in North Korea. So. Yeah. Again, this is not an entirely new idea, mm -hmm. and it's just the timing that matters here. Um, and let me just put in the, a little bit of a domestic con context here, because there are going to be uh, big mayoral elections in South Korea yeah. that's slated to happen in April, right, in Busan and Seoul. Uh, the second largest and the largest cities in South Korea. And I expect to see these kind of controversies emerging ahead of the election because mm. it, it can always uh, move the needle when there is a big headline yeah. that has both North Korea and nuclear in the same sentence. So right. we'll, we'll see more of this, I think. Yeah, like Wangi said, I'm just going to add in that we are going to see a lot of these um, something like conspiracy theories on how certain politicians, even president is bagging, as we call it, and sometimes call like people who are lenient towards North Korea. Um, this whole incident to me, it was honestly, it was really stupid. It's um, a lot of things that the politicians said, said about these files. Mm. Let me give you an example. Um, one politician he saw the file names had V's in them, like V1, V2. Yeah. And we all know that V means version, right? Okay. Um, but he said that in Blue House, we all know that V stands for VIP, which means president. Uh -huh. so, so he was alleging that this, these files are actually for President Moon. Hence, um, that Moon was the one who was leading the entire project. So we will see a lot of these in South yeah. Korean domestic politics yeah and wasn't there also a conspiracy theory that kim jong-un was aware of this plan and he mentioned the uh, nuclear power in his new year's eve uh, new year's day speech in 2019 yeah there were some people who were looking at the the north korean media a state media at the time as well and how the word nuclear power plant or something related to energy it increased at the time but as far as i know they were always interested in that um and also the south korean part um south korean sides explanation of that was that they not only explained it to North Korea, but also the United States as well. Right, because there's no way that South Korea could build a nuclear power plant without the US being aware of it and, and being uh, complicit or cooperative in some way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, well, that, so that's the um, the non-event of the, the secret nuclear plans. Uh, let's go to a, a slightly less serious issue. Colin, I understand that Kim Jong-un has a fancy new water slide. Okay, so to set the, the stage for you, it's uh, it's October 2020, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, there was the military parade, right? And uh, October 10, and, and Kim Jong-un made a speech where he cried and, uh, you know, everyone was crying in the square. And it was, you know, I'm so sorry that uh, we've had these natural disasters, uh, which, you know, we, our country wasn't prepared for, you know, the uh, the pandemic and, and all this stuff. But please, let's do an 80-day battle. Everyone needs to mobilize 
it's not please, you know, it's a, everyone has to do it and right. uh, mass labor mobilization across the whole country to uh, meet end of year economic goals. So uh, a couple of days later, he goes up the coast uh, to check out some more reconstruction efforts uh, on October 14 and 15 on the, the East Coast. And uh, then on October uh, eight, 17 and 18, a Saturday and Sunday, uh, 70 degree weather, um, we see on satellite imagery a giant 40 meter long, you know, 130 feet long water slide looking object. Mm. Um, and I appear at his Wonsan mansion uh, along his little private beach there. So, uh, you know, we don't know if Kim Jong-un was there, but we know that he was in the area during that time. It matched up perfectly and he was not appearing in public uh, between uh, October 15th and later that month. You know, someone in his family, possibly Kim Jong-un involved, had a some kind of event where a giant uh, water slide was installed uh, for just a couple of days. So he might still have that somewhere. That's when everyone else in the country was was just kicking off their their uh, forced uh, mass mo- labor mobilization uh, for the good of the country. But, yeah, it's quite a, quite a juxtaposition, isn't it? Uh, Eighty day speed battle, uh, and the uh, the leader goes off and enjoys a uh, a very long water slide. Now, and you say that was a, during a period in which he wasn't making any public appearances, and that gives me a segue to talk about other public appearances that haven't happened lately. Uh, Jongmin, Ri Sol-ju, the, uh, the wife of Kim Jong-un, hasn't been seen in public for quite a while. How long has she been absent for, and what are the theories that explain why? Uh, more than a year. Uh, the last week of January was the uh, first one-year anniversary, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. that research appeared. Um, He was last seen in state media sitting next to um, Kim Jong-un and also his aunt Kim Kyung-hee at Sanjian Theater for Lunar New Year's Day performance on January 25th, 2020. That at that time, uh, that event was a uh, more well known because Kim Kyung Hee returned after six years of disappearance. Right. Um, but yeah, that was the last time she was seen. Now, people do, um, as you just hinted at with Kim Kyung Hee, people do come and go from the public view in North Korea. They appear, they disappear. Uh, and of course, Ri Soju um, would not be the first. Uh, first lady of North Korea not to be seen in public for a long time. I mean, we, we never, I, I think if I remember correctly, we never technically knew who uh, Kim Jong-il's um, first lady was. Uh, so Ri Soju was actually was a little bit of a an exception in that case. It's not, is it a big deal that she hasn't been seen for over a year? Uh, yeah, conclusion first, no, I'd say. Um, it's not, it's for, first of all, a lot of people sometimes compare Ri Soju with someone like Kim Yo-jong because mm-hmm. they are both female and they are, they have been on state media many times during, especially um, a couple of years ago. But unlike other people, researcher doesn't really hold any party position. So we can't really, really expect her to be at certain event or certain party meetings, especially Um, Kim Yo-jang, it's different. Um, When she disappears, it means something many times because Mm. there are certain party meetings that she has to attend, but she misses like she did last year. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of South Korean media this year, uh, last year actually, during the October party uh, party military parade, uh, they were expecting research to, to be there because the previous military parade was attended by research Chu. But um, it's not um, it's always not clear whether or not Ritsarju will appear because before that, that was the first time Ritsarju ever attended a military parade. 
Um, so mm. I don't think it's, it was a big deal that she wasn't there. There are a couple of theories. Um, I have, I've asked, asked experts and they probably, they are not thinking that it would be something, anything serious considering how Kim Jong-un himself did not come out in public that much that year aside yeah. from um, political meetings. Um, it could be anything related to um, COVID-19 prevention to anything like pregnancy that NIS saw before as well. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, Wangi, let's talk about the uh, Yomyong School, the, the school here in, in Seoul in South Korea. What's special about that school? Sure. Um, Yomyong School is uh, the, the alternative school that's for uh, North Korean defector teenagers. Um, so it's teaching middle and high school students. And one thing special about Yomyong School and also other alternative schools that's for defectors is that there are only nine of them in South Korea. Uh -huh. And I think if I remember correctly, four only five are authorized uh, by the government, meaning that if you graduate from this school, yeah. your credentials will be recognized by the university or workplaces. I see. Now, the, the Yomyong School, uh, I went there once in 2014. It's very close oh, to really? Myeongdong, to downtown Seoul and Namsan. Um, but it's not exactly an ideal place for a school. It doesn't. There's no sports ground. It's it's really just part of a building, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not an ideal place. I, I was actually really surprised when I first visited the building. It was basically a squeezed between yeah. um, the other restaurants or yeah, like donkas coffee shops. Exactly, like donkas restaurants that are yeah. pretty famous. I guess like it's been on the TV all the time. So. Um, so a lot of people, a lot of tourists or visitors there to visit uh, and eat in those restaurants. But mm -hmm. yeah, as you said, like it's, it doesn't really look like a, a best place for school, which needs, uh, let's say, a soccer field, right? right. Or a basketball courts. It, it doesn't have those kind of facilities. The lease was supposed to end in 2021, I think. And then um, it started to look for different locations. But uh, I would say uh, this is a classic example of not in my backyard situation mm. where um, lo local communities, um, they don't want uh, this school to be in their, uh, near their place, in their neighborhood uh, for various reasons. Um, some parents might think that, oh, the defector kids should not hang out with our kids. Mm -hmm. um, some people might think that if the defector schools like this come into our neighborhood, the real estate price would decrease um, gradually. Right. So there are a lot of um, stigma, there are a lot of um, uh, elements of discrimination involved uh, in this case. Roughly speaking, how many children attend the school at the moment? Mm -hmm. At the moment, um, I think it was of 70 to 80. Okay, so it's not a very large school. Why can't they go to normal schools in South Korea? What's the, uh, what issues do they face in uh, attending schools with South Korean children? As we all know, um, South Korean education system is pretty competitive. Mm. And what the experts have told me is that um, when you're in elementary school, you can just hang out, right? Like you don't really think that you're different. Um, you can just take the same classes. The mathematics or English classes are not difficult. Yeah. But then when you go to middle school and high school and when the pressure of the university application is coming up, the competition gets even harsher. And for defector students who have spent significant time out of South Korea, um, even in China, um, they are not really used to speaking in um, Korean language. Mm. Um, they are not really used to learning calculus, like advanced level calculus in high school classes. Right. And 
it, they usually don't have any um, option to go to Hagwon, like uh, private academies in yeah. South Korea. So a lot of like financial reasons for financial reasons and also the information, right? Um, these the kids, um, the parents of these kids um, who are usually North Korean defectors yeah. don't have that much information about the private education market in South Korea. Right. So that adds much more pressure to um, individual students to um, to adjust, but then there are not many supports around. Mm. And alternative schools um, can provide uh, the buffer for yeah. these defector students, and they can provide more personalized curriculum for these students. So that's what's special about um, schools like Yamyong School. I see. And is, is there any hope that they might uh, eventually find a, a better location? No, uh, for now, uh, I think they are still looking for the options here, mm. reaching out. But at this point, um, it's still they're still searching for the new location. Okay. Well, gosh, we wish them good luck with that. Jongmin, you had your first chance to talk to Unification Minister Ian Yong uh, at a live press briefing this week. How did that go? Uh, it was an hour press briefing, a press conference, actually. It was the first Yinyong um, press conference with foreign correspondents mm -hmm. um, this year. It was actually planned for late last year, but because of COVID, it had to be um, postponed. Right. Um, I wanted to ask more questions, but um, 40 minutes of the entire hour press conference was about anti-leaflet law, actually. Ah, uh, the anti-leaflet law. Okay, yeah. Uh, what did you manage to ask him about? I remember that Lee Nyang at the start of his term said that he will be more than willing to go to Pyongyang as a special envoy that if that can help North Korea and South Korea reconcile again. So I asked him, are you still willing to go? Or um, if you do go, um, what can you bring aside from the things that North Korea um, rejected as quote-unquote insufficient, um, uh, inessential inter-Korean policy projects. Um, his answer was that the South Korean government is currently not, not going through any reviews of sending a special envoy to North Korea. And um, his point was that um, although North Korea at the party Congress did uh, mention public health cooperation and other inter-Korean projects as not fundamental or inessential. Mm. His point was that uh, he wanted to, he was basically using that opportunity to tell North Korea that you guys are wrong. It's actually really important. Um, they said the humanitarian um, cooperation has its values um, and that he really, really thinks that North Korea does need it. Um, so he, it seems that he will be still pushing for all the things that he already pitched last year. D did Minister Lee seem optimistic about the chances for humanitarian assistance or exchanges with North Korea in the time remaining to President Moon's government, which is what, a little bit over a year? Yeah, it seems so, because I imagine that he would be a little bit more cautious about saying anything about future policies, because first of all, North Korea did reject it. And second, um, uh, Biden administration just inaugurated and it, I thought um, they would be saying anything specific after the policy review ends mm -hmm. on the on Biden's side. But uh, Yi Nyang actually said that he thinks or he hopes that North Korea did not close doors and on any inter-Korean cooperation. So it was just wishful thinking and he was just free to 
um, express what he thought. So I think you know still has high hopes about inter-Korean cooperation um, resuming within a year. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that was interesting in the press conference was that he mentioned China. Yeah. I think it was one of the first times that. A uh, high-level official like Lee Nyong um, included China into the equation of thinking about the peace process on the Korean Peninsula or denuclearization. Um, it seems that he thinks um, it was an interest, interesting argument. He thought he said he thought that although China and the United States fights all the time, something about North Korea policy it can be a platform where America and China can actually cooperate and not compete. So uh, it was another part of his wishful thinking right. as well. And he mentioned a lot about sanctions as well. And this is like a potential point of controversy, I think, after uh, Biden and Blinken starts um, showing, start uh, expressing any plans about North Korea policy, he said, if there are going to be additional sanctions, he said there has to be a really clear review of whether or not sanctions are actually, sanctions actually work in the past couple of years. And he said that sanctions isn't the only way. So we can see that um, it's not like that right now, but after a couple of uh, weeks or months, we can imagine going directly against what Biden or Blinken would say about North Korea sanctions. Okay, now very briefly, in 30 seconds or less, uh, Jongwen, can you summarize for us the 40-minute discussion about the anti-leaflet law? Um, the questions were about the things that were already asked to Lee Young, like um, the thing about the third country, uh, the clause about how the the ministry may um, stop the leaflets are coming from the third country, but being out for 40 minutes, basically, he just repeated all the Ministry of Unification guidelines that it's just about the leaflets that naturally go through the third country that were sent from South Korea, not the ones that were sent from the third country. So it was basically just the reiteration of already what was out there, like the issue about freedom of expression. I hope our listeners are... Uh feel more educated about that now it's still uh it is a little bit of a confusing law there um you know how leaflets naturally go through a third country i think it was the the suggestion was that wind currents or ocean currents would pick up leaflets and take them into uh, chinese space and then into north korea that's the third country clause isn't it yeah exactly okay uh colin back to you what can we look forward to at the 10th congress of what is now called the kim il songist kim jong-illist youth league i think they used to be known as the socialist workers youth league or saro chong in korean for short oh really yeah i mean i guess before they changed their name in 2016 at their last conference to the to the kim il sung socialist uh youth league i don't know i mean i think it's a it's a fascinating subject there's a lot of there's a few articles on on the nk news website from uh years past that kind of delve into what is the youth league is it you know what do they actually do yeah ostensibly it's it's to shape and mold the the youth uh to uh into you know the socialist worldview and to also according to defectors to is it also a way of organizing free labor like in the army? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was trying to, I was looking for the words. Um, so that's according to some defectors. Uh, I, I believe it's not too disputed. Uh, there's video evidence of, of children working in North Korea. But yeah, the uh, the Youth League is going to have a, another Congress. So basically uh, what it looks like with uh, with Kim Jong-un after the, the 2016 
party congress, uh, which was the first one in in like 36 years. Uh, and now, the, you know, North Korea just had another party congress last month. And uh, it looks to me like uh, after the 2016 Congress, they had a bunch of uh, sort of sub-congresses of all these other organizations, like the Youth League, uh, the Agricultural Workers Union, the uh, General Trade Workers Union. Uh, I forget the exact names of all these, mm. uh, the Women's the women's Union. So it looks just like they're going to be doing that again, uh, where they regroup, they discuss ways to enact all the, the, the top-line decisions from the party Congress and right. kind of... Uh, fuse that into their sub-organizations. Um, but the readout uh, in state media yesterday was kind of interesting because uh, the Youth League officials met and discussed what they should do at the next Youth League Congress, which will be in early April. Any sign um, of a new name change coming up? Well, yeah. So in the Congress last month, they said that they would change their name again. So we had Kim Il-sung uh, Socialist Youth League until 2016, I you said it was something else even before that. Yeah, the, um, uh, and the, right, Socialist Workers uh, Youth League. Yeah, and then in 2016 it became the the Kim Il Songist Kim Jong Ilist Youth League, and so now there's going to be a new name. Uh, I don't think they're going to, you know, they tacked on Kim Jong Il last time. I don't think they're going to tack on Kim Jong Unism, Kim Jong Unist. I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. But they, you know, they might. Um, but we'll see what they actually. Uh, what comes out of this. So in 2016, Kim Jong-un went to the Youth League conference, Congress, over two days uh, and made a speech. It was, you know, very important to him, a very important event to him. This time, the state media readout yesterday, uh, you know, signaled that there are issues with the Youth League organization, that they need to inspire the youth more, that they need to uh, update their the ways that they're uh, teaching them. They need to to have an ideological offensive, you know, a likely motivation for all this is the drifting interest of the youth from the uh, the party's socialist ideals mm. to uh, foreign influence like South Korean media. Uh, um, lastly, Colin, very briefly, tell us what we learned about the lives of Hwagyo or Chinese diaspora living in North Korea. Have their numbers decreased? The Chinese ambassador uh, to North Korea uh, just hosted some leaders of the, the the Chinese residents living in North Korea. So it's kind of, uh, you know, one of my colleagues, Fyodor Tertitsky, he has done a lot of research on this. And also mm. another one of our colleagues, Andrei Lenkov, has written about it as well. Um, but, you know, Fyodor said there's not a whole lot of information in the English language before he did a research paper um, about this uh, community of, uh, of of Chinese citizens who live permanently in North Korea. So yeah, according to Fyodor uh, and according to the Chinese embassy, it was about 5,000 people or no, about 3,000 people back in uh, 2015 mm -hmm. that live in various cities across North Korea. And they live among North Koreans in their homes, yeah. um, but they've got the Kim portraits up in their house. Uh, but there are various reports like they don't have to, to go to all the ideological uh, training or meetings that normal North Korean citizens have to. And they're allowed to travel to China and come yeah. and go. Um, if they have a certain permits. So yeah, these days we don't know what the population is, but Fyodor thinks it's um, uh, decreasing. And uh, he says common sense would tell you it's been decreasing because it was uh, 5,000 some years ago and then 3,000 in 2015. If they're able to go to China, when they're able to go to China, and that was restricted uh, due to the border closures of uh, during COVID-19. But if they're able to do that and they have the means, I think there are a lot more motivations to to go to China. But, you know, a lot of them don't have the means. There are multiple generations now uh, having settled uh, in the colonial time, the Japanese colonial time, or 
uh, after all the Chinese soldiers came in to uh, to help North Korea during the Korean War. It's a fascinating idea that there are uh, a couple of thousand people living in North Korea. And, you know, visually, they wouldn't be uh, that different from uh, North Koreans. So hard to, to see, uh, except they're not wearing Kim Il-sung badges, but they don't have to take part in the political life of North Korea. And that's really uh, a surprising kind of freedom for people who are living there their whole lives uh, in that system, isn't it? Yeah, and, I, and I've read kind of conflicting reports from some of the outlets that do uh, the internal reporting from North Korea, like uh, RFA and Daily NK. Uh, it's kind of unclear to me right now whether or not, uh, according to certain reports, they are being coerced into more uh, involvement in nor in the the typical uh, the Workers Party uh, the, the 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 Kim family uh, culture way of life uh, ideological requirements, or another report says that they are seen as a a, a valuable link to uh, to Chinese business and a, a possible um, avenue for you know economic development or trade with North Korea. So I'm sure that the that uh, the North Korean authorities see them as having a, a value, but also potentially a, a threat in some way due to their their uh, living among North Koreans, but having more freedom. Freedom, right? Uh, last question to all of you uh, to wrap up. Uh, North Korea, as we know, is. is uh, been hermetically sealed from the rest of the world because of, of COVID-19. Even uh, most of the, uh, the diplomats and, and foreign aid workers uh, have left North Korea and, and North Koreans aren't doing cross-border trade. So what's your best guess on when is the earliest that uh, North Korea can reopen its borders and people can start traveling in and out again? Um, Wangi, do you want to give us your best guess first? It's it's really hard. Um, even after vaccination, um, they're not going to reopen the border. So I, I guess like we have to really wait for the population to be fully vaccinated, which is going to take a long time. So would you say that pretty much all of this year, 2021, North Korea will remain as closed as it is now? I think so, but I hope not. Mm, you hope not. Okay. Jongmin? Uh, I also think it will be difficult to see a full-on border reopening this year, like Wangi said about vaccines as well. But also, there wouldn't there be a possibility that they will, um, they could decide to open up the border just a little bit so the trade can go on and they can continue their constructions that require um, foreign assets as well. Uh, we could see in December, actually, some of the border there, it was cracked open to mm -hmm. some items like sugar and tire. But like I said, it, we wouldn't be able to see like a full on border reopening for humanitarian workers or yeah. Chinese tourists or anything like that compared to the pre-COVID time. There is there is evidence that the trade is uh, uh, continuing uh, to a certain extent such as the, the the port at Nampo still being quite active. Um, and uh, you can see some some high-res images of, of that uh, from a 38 North report uh, last week. And also uh, NK Pro reported on uh, some other developments there at an oil uh, terminal that, you know, make it look like they are preparing. And, and, and I reported on a lot of uh, preparations going on along the border with China. I've also seen whispers online from some uh, Chinese business people uh, saying that they are aware of efforts on the North Korean side of the border to uh, more effectively or, or have a, 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 an actual system um, to quarantine and disinfect shipments so that maybe they can get out of this 
extreme paranoia where they think, you know, we can't even uh, have a truck ship some stuff in because the virus can live on those boxes for 21 days or something. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're just being extremely, uh, you know, as cautious as possible, better safe than sorry. But, you know, maybe they'll actually do this. Maybe they'll set up some, some checkpoints that can deal with it more effectively and get trade flowing uh, at more border checkpoints. Uh, so what's your best guess on a when? Spring, summer, fall? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who but knows? but no, I don't think I don't think that they will open up until the effects of the virus are are gone in the world. You know, I, I don't think that they will reopen the border to tourism and to regular contacts. I think what they're going to do is uh, try to do their best to to get more trade flowing. Okay, well, that's not a very optimistic picture to end on, but that is where we must end it today. So my thanks again to Wangi Jong, Jongmin Kim, and Collins Worker for joining me via Zoom today for the roundtable. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you Thank already you. have an NK News account and you're a think tank, business, or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. Uh, thanks, as always, to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast, and to Arius Dare, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc., and who walks walked us through the minefield that is Zoom recording this morning. Thanks to all of you and listen again next time. <laughs>